1: hey guys bill spadia here for this special edition of our speaking podcast i know you're used to all the light banter between my co-hosts myself jessica and jay but today i wanted to turn to a serious subject and talk about the covid 19 lockdowns all of the misinformation that's out there and i thought you know a lot of people call the radio show and say bill why do you keep talking about this you're not a doctor and i said well of course i'm not a doctor but i can read and i can certainly listen And I can learn from those medical professionals who are out there. And there are a couple of things that I think need to be addressed. Number one, the mask mandates. Number two, the idea that there are excess deaths that are happening from all sorts of other causes outside of COVID-19. And I wanted to get right to the source. So we're going to bring in an expert today. Her name is Dr. Colleen Huber, and she specializes in treating cancer patients. Dr. Huber, welcome to the Speaking Podcast. How are you?
0: Thank you, Bill. Fine. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. It's good to have you. I want to thank you. First of all, you were on the radio show. That was fantastic. Uh, But I I feel like with the podcast, we can expand it. So the folks that are tuning in and downloading this episode and listening to it, what I'm really hoping to do is, A, have people learn a little bit about why you're opposed to mask mandates, what this means to the medical community, why it's important to open up our society, and, and maybe give some people a few talking points because I've said this, you know, the the problem isn't even the politicians. To me, it seems like the politicians are doing what they think the masses want done. And right now the masses are scared. People are thinking, oh my goodness, if I go to church, if I go out to eat, if I embrace my friends, uh, somehow I'm gonna kill their grandparents. And we've done a really awful job as a society in, in failing to educate people as to the reality of what is out there. And, you know, I've talked about this about seasonal flu, about the fact that this is a respiratory virus season and all of these things. And still, you get two sides. And sadly, it breaks down almost along political lines. And a lot of my liberal friends are, are pro mask mandate and they're pro lockdown. And my conservative friends are anti mask mandate, anti lockdown. To me, the science should be nonpartisan. And so let's start with the masks. Why? Are the mask mandates dangerous?
0: Well, there are so many problems with mask mandates. One is, I I have to touch on the political just a tad. Uh, You know, I have family members who fought in World War II. You know, a recent survey showed 60% of Americans don't even know who we fought against in World War II. Okay, but uh, we fought against the Nazis. And uh, what was the main lesson that we should have learned from World War II is that medical experimentation must not be done on individuals. So as a result of the Nuremberg trials, We had the Nuremberg Code, which uh, said you do not uh, experiment on individuals and that, you know, people have the right to life, liberty, security of person. That's enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I mean, um, informed consent is United States law, that we can't force a medical procedure on somebody who has not agreed to it. So uh, mandates uh, are... uh mandates are you know i think a violation of article 9 10 and 14 at least of the us constitution however i'm not an attorney and you didn't bring me on to talk about law <laughs> so uh, that that's a a problem to begin with and then a quasi political quasi medical problem is according to the us fda definition of a medical device we actually looked at that definition and it includes a device intended for the prevention of disease and that seems to be what masks are intended for that people want to wear them because they think somehow that will diminish or decrease numbers of covid 19 affected people but um you know if that's a medical device who is prescribing it for you And that person who's prescribing it for you, did they have a license to practice medicine? And did you have the benefit of a medical consult prior to that prescription? Okay, so there's a lot of problems with mandates from that perspective. But then there's a whole slew of problems from a medical perspective.
1: Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the medical perspective when it comes to, uh, do they help? I've talked about this and I've read many articles about The fact that let's talk about whether they're surgical masks, uh, which are intended to block large droplets from getting in or out if somebody sneezes or there's blood spattering on the operating table. I mean, that certainly makes sense to most people. Um, But the idea that the virus itself, the coronavirus, uh, influenza, these these respiratory airborne viruses are too small to be trapped or blocked by the mesh um, uh, workings, the gauze or whatever it is that makes up these masks whether it's cloth or, um, or a surgical mask.
0: Yes, that is correct. And in fact, there was a Duke University study recently that showed that the larger respiratory droplets that would normally fall very close in front of an unmasked person are actually broken up by the mesh of a mask and to smaller aerosol. That aerosol is suspended longer in the air. And is containing viral particles. It, it's not dropping down to the ground quickly. It's just hanging around the air longer and a wider airspace. In other words, that is one reason that masked people are creating more risk for COVID-19. In fact, we are writing a paper right now, uh, which we're not finished yet. Uh, on that very mechanism, why it is that masks increase risk of spreading COVID-19. And Duke University basically did the research on the mechanics of it. They, they did a technique called Schlieren imaging, in which they were able to actually photograph this.
1: So what, what do you say to the person, and we've got friends, I know, I'm sure you do too, uh, they're scared to death. They say, you know, if, if a, wearing a mask could save one life, why wouldn't you just do it?
0: Right. Well, the thing is, I mean, has it saved any lives? We also looked at population studies, and uh, among big populations, lives have not been saved by mask wearings. You, You may be familiar with all the charts that have examined various states in the United States. After a mask mandate was started, cases started to rise. We see this pattern over and over throughout the United States and many countries around the world. Now, my research team did a study of 25 countries. We took our data from the Council of Foreign Relations. They had studied these countries in July and they asked the citizens of those countries the question, have you worn a mask all the time when outside the home in the last seven days? Singapore had the highest at 93%, Finland and Denmark had the lowest at 1%. And it turned out, that uh, when we looked at those countries later, there were the fewest COVID cases in the countries that had the least masks. In other words, more masks, more COVID. So I don't think anybody's protecting anybody with a mask. Even even you mentioned surgery. Even surgeries had fewer infections unmasked than masked. Okay, the masked surgeries had more infections. In a, yeah, in another
1: so the medical profession, well, I, you know, it's funny you say that because I talked about this uh, on, on the show before that there seemed to be such a high number of healthcare professionals who got COVID and, and many got sick. Yeah. And, and you think who's more protected than them with the gloves and the gear and, and everything else. And no one has said whether or not the people who were infected as medical professionals were those that were denied access to PPE versus those that had it. Um, The the assumption is, in in the mind of the public, that, oh, well, that nurse that got it must have just had to put a bandana around her face because everybody panicked and ran out and bought all the N95 masks. But that doesn't seem to be the case, and no one's talking about that.
0: Right. Yeah, that's so true. Well, I'm a medical professional, I can tell you, uh, I certainly don't put on the, the whole NASA suit to uh, go out and meet a patient. I just make sure I take zinc, you know, zinc and green tea will work as well as zinc and hydroxychloroquine, according to other research that I've looked at. And in fact, I've uh, helped uh, the uh, relative of a patient who mailed it to uh, the COVID patient anyway, and he got well very quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, we're finding out that uh, nutrients are protective against COVID. So I think uh, there are health professionals, at least in my, uh, you know, of my acquaintance that we have not gotten sick. But uh, yes, you're right. Uh, so many have. Uh, so the-
1: how, let me ask you this. I, I had this conversation too with uh, some folks about how I do hot yoga and I make sure that every day I'm sweating out a, a lot of bodily fluids and I think that, you know, I drink a lot of water. And thankfully, in the last two years, I've not had. I used to before I got into uh, doing yoga and making sure I was sweating every single day. Uh, that I would get a respiratory infection every single year. And I'm in the radio, TV business, and losing your voice for three or four days is a bit of a drag on the career. And it would happen every single year until the last two, and I have not been sick since then since I started this. Now, uh, you know, is uh, correlation is not causation? I get that, but I have to believe there's something to be said. For a healthy lifestyle. What do you say to people who think that it's not really about your internal being? It's about the external factors, distance, not going to mass gatherings. People are starting to now blame the reopening of restaurants, the reopening of schools as spiking the spread. Um, But again, I, I don't know that there are a lot of facts that support that.
0: I also agree with you. There are not facts to support that. In fact, one of the top immunologists in the world, Beda Stadler, um, I believe he's from Switzerland. Anyway, um, he says it is the, quote, crowning of stupidity to imagine that you're going to get COVID from a non-symptomatic person. In other words, immunologists and epidemiologists and virologists all over the world know this, that Respiratory infections are not transmitted from asymptomatic people. In other words, we are not all disease vectors just waiting to give each other uh, infections. We are not so unclean as, uh, you know, the the mass fascists would have it i call them mass fascists simply because uh sorry to return to world war ii but you know uh, i mean one of the um, horrible strategies that hitler used against jews was oh they're dirty they're unclean they must be segregated in a ghetto you know stay away from them and uh, they have lice etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, none of which was true of course but i mean you know th- that was that was the technique for oppressing them now, this same exact uh, technique is being used against all of us. We're all supposedly unclean, you know? Uh, we need to be masked to contain ourselves because we're gonna give somebody else a disease. No, if you, if you are asymptomatic, I don't worry about you uh, being in the middle of an incubation period. Incubation period for coronavirus, typically about three days, that is when you're feeling sick. Sure, that could be when you transmit it. But if you do not have any uh, symptoms, that doesn't mean you're an asymptomatic disease person. No, that just means you're a healthy person like almost all the rest of us. And if you do get it, you still have that 99.9% uh, survival rate.
1: What do you say about the numbers? Let's turn to some of the the uh, the, the so-called excess death numbers. Um, flu numbers, if you look at the CDC report, uh, I looked at flu, pneumonia, and COVID. As of November, there were more pneumonia deaths than COVID deaths by a few thousand, and flu deaths have almost dropped to nothing. I think the last report had 6,600 uh, flu deaths. Um, and, and if you listen to the politicians in Australia, they'll say, well, sure, we've wiped out flu because we're socially distant, we're wearing masks, we're following protocols. Uh, what do you say to that? Are they just moving numbers around?
0: Yes, I think so, because actually the U.S. CARES Act incentivized uh, that uh, COVID diagnoses. And uh, hospitals have been raking in tons of money uh, from COVID. 98 billion has been uh, spread out against uh, 5,000 or more. Um, no, no, 98 billion dollars has been paid out to hospitals uh, in the COVID era uh, for COVID diagnoses. The fact that it's incentivized means that a hospital has a disincentive for uh calling a flu case or a flu death uh, as it is, but rather um, identifying it as COVID, in fact, In parlor this morning, I posted the CDC uh, page uh, that shows that, that shows the payouts that's gone to hospitals. You know, uh, I was looking at the page for Minnesota alone in which hundreds of millions of dollars have been paid out uh, for uh, COVID diagnosis. So when you create a differential, like, you know, Medicare is only paying 5,000 for a flu case, but they pay 13,000 for a COVID case. And then if the hospital can't treat their usual stroke, heart disease, cancer patients, um, you know, if that's being postponed, then the hospital with its high overhead is being cash strapped enough that they say, mm, we'll take the 13000 payout instead of 5000 payout, so therefore it's COVID. So yeah. the, they call it COVID. And then you had that uh, paper that came out, I guess was last week from the uh, Johns Hopkins University that said, look- but the amount by which covid deaths are are up this year is the same amount by which so many other deaths are down if you add all those deaths uh, that were decreased so, now you're at a typical number uh, of deaths doc
1: i posted that on twitter uh, surprisingly yes. it has not been taken down yet using the the web archive that uh, that was that was shared with me the wayback machine and and they haven't taken it down but johns hopkins from what i've heard pulled the article and archived it in, from their own magazine. What do you say about uh, perhaps what their motivation could have been for doing that? And is the researcher who did this analysis credible?
0: Well, uh, I think she made some really good points. Uh, she cited C- CDC data. I mean, she cited data that is credible and the, what she linked to and cited. Genevieve Briand
1: the- is her name. Right. Yeah, yeah, Genevieve
0: Briand, right? And uh, those pages have not been pulled down. So I have I have to wonder about uh, political and financial motivations for uh, for deleting that article and censoring it. And uh, you know, they they put a banner across it, uh, retracted, I believe, or something like that. Yeah. So I have to wonder about that. What's going on behind the scenes there?
1: So as a doctor what would your advice be if you're advising a governor if you're advi- let's let's say for a minute let's pretend that some politicians actually have some integrity and morality, and it isn't just about a power grab. And they really want to listen to quote-unquote the science. We know that it's all manipulated these days. Governor Murphy, Governor Cuomo, uh, in particular, where one in five COVID reported deaths took place in New Jersey and New York out of all the deaths in the country. So we know that. We know the nursing homes. We know bad policy, but they'll never admit to that. Maybe it's for yeah. fear of prosecution. Who knows? But 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 let's say we had an honest person as governor, and the governor called and said, okay, Dr. Huber, I need the reasons why I should reopen the state 100%. What would you say to the most scared people? Because it seems that politicians are by and large cowards. And even when it comes to the, uh, the counting of all real votes, of all the legal votes in this election, politicians are too afraid to be beaten up by the media as a shill for Trump. They're too afraid to say, well, if I say to reopen the state and then one person dies, I'm going to be blamed. What do you say to the most scared people in our society as a doctor as to why they should embrace the reopening of our society and our economy?
0: Okay. Uh, I have a two-part answer to that. One is that we have to also consider the deaths that are the result of lockdown. And these are considerable. I believe suicides have been up 600%. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I'd read about a quarter of youth had contemplated suicide recently. And not only that, but there is domestic abuse. There's substance abuse, considerable substance abuse going on. Um, there are cancer patients who have not been attended to medically. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Stroke and heart patients who heart disease patients who have not been attended to. Okay, so we also have that uh, casualty. The casualty of children's education is uh, just abysmal. What children have been subjected to, not only from the masks, but also from uh, the diminished uh, you know classroom hours that they have had during this whole time. However, I have another more specific answer to you that I think is even more defensible, and that is. The United States actually did a controlled experiment in the first half of this year, and that is six U.S. states did not lock down, and nobody talks about them. Arkansas, Iowa, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. Now, you might say, well, they're sparsely populated. Ah, yes, but so are their neighbors. Their immediate neighbors are approximately as sparsely populated. So what I did was I looked at the six U.S. states that did not lock down, and I compared them with their immediate neighbors. It turns out, that there were fewer deaths in the states that did not lock down. In other words, the neighboring states that did lock down had more total deaths. And the reason I looked at total deaths is because, you know, the PCR test is very flawed, as you know. And, And what is called a COVID death, but might really be a flu death, that is also not so reliable. So we have to look at total deaths. The total deaths in the neighboring lockdown states exceeded the death in the free states that data is there it's permanent it's on um, primarydoctor.org uh, public health pages lockdowns failed to reduce deaths
1: so that's a publication you read with you i'll share that i'll share that on twitter uh, i'm sure the flag as unsafe right if i share that on twitter
0: Oh, that is totally fine. Uh, Well, you know, Twitter has has censored me for citing a government webpage and also for citing peer-reviewed scientific articles. And they've censored me four times for that, for mentioning the M word. Masks. What
1: about, um What about the uh, the idea that the CDC estimated, and I read this, there's a, a writer, former New York Times writer, Alex Berenson, who's been pretty outspoken uh, against the okay. lockdowns, et cetera, really uh, thoughtful guy, but he, he posted that the CDC had estimated there would be an excess of 350,000 deaths this year over last year. So he asked some questions, other reporters asked some questions of that, at least on Twitter, um, and that was, they do not account for the high number of baby boomers who are now reaching that mortality age range. Number one, number two, it does, it does not account for weeks where the number of deaths this year versus last year were actually lower. They counted those weeks as zero and then they averaged them out. So I I think that number is flawed based on those two issues, but I'm now hearing, and, and as you look at what, um, um, what that researcher Genevieve Briant discovered with Johns Hopkins—that it doesn't seem we're going to have excess deaths at, at all, and and we're on target for that. So, so those are two completely different things. I can hear it now. We're gonna—the minute I say this, I get someone that calls the show or tweets at me and says, "You're crazy. Three hundred fifty thousand more deaths. If we didn't have COVID, we would be in line." Um, we now know that's not true, but. What are, you, what are your talking points for people? Because the average person, when I ask them, Colleen, I send them back out to the breakfast table and the diner, and I say, tell your friends. that, 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 that you know, The change starts one-on-one. We're not going to uh, get the governor impeached. We're not going to do anything about that for a number of years, potentially. The way you start change is one-on-one in your yoga class, one-on-one around your dinner table, when you're having a chat with your friend over coffee or tea. So, what is the talking point when someone says to you, no, there are hundreds of thousands of excess deaths? What do you tell them?
0: Here's one thing that they are ignoring that in the United States, every single year in recent years, 600,000 people die of cancer. And an approximate same number, another 600,000 people die of heart disease. Now, um when, when these deaths kind of get ignored and they're not so important uh, anymore to be acknowledged, I think they are important to be acknowledged and seen. Um, and then we're only looking at what we call COVID deaths. Okay, here's a way you can approach them. Here's another thing you can do. Say, well, if COVID is such a, a horrible killer that's killing so many people, can you name even one famous person who has definitely died of COVID? And then, so they often say, well, that was be Herman Kane. However, right. what they're failing to acknowledge is, didn't he have stage four colon cancer? Right. Okay. So, uh, you know, that was the painless person they reached for. There's another thing that they really ought to consider. The average age of death during the so-called Spanish flu was 28. The average life expectancy in the U.S. is about 78. But the average COVID-19 death is somewhere, uh, depending on what you read, uh, between 79 and 82. So uh, if that's the average COVID death, then I think they're not acknowledging uh, the people who are younger than, uh, than age 78, surviving uh, this disease very easily. And the fact that the people who are over that age who are dying of COVID tend to have an average of, uh, the last I read, it was an average of three comorbidities. And then when 2. you've 6 got the financial from the
1: CDC 2.6 comorbidities and and Thank the comorbidities you. listed as cancer, heart disease, not like they had a cold in the last week. Um, right. what, let's talk quickly about the PCR test. I am, you know, my my uh, management team in in our, our at our station. They they cringe every time I talk about cycles because I, I I've said I try to explain the PCR test, and I'm sure you can do a better job. But here's how I explain it that it is done based on cycles, which analyze the data, whatever they're pulling out of your body. The fewer cycles that they use to detect the virus, the more virus you have. The more cycles they use to detect the virus, the less virus you have. And once you get past 15, 20, 25 cycles, the test becomes unreliable, and could be picking up whether you had a cold in the past week, whether you have some trace of the virus, which the viral protein, which has no bearing on whether you are sick or whether you can spread it. And for some reason, the FDA has put in a 40 cycle test, which even according to the the guy that won the Nobel Prize for inventing the PCR test said, my test is being completely misused. So I, I explain it this way that if you took a pass-fail test in school versus a graded test, a graded test, you could score a 60, a 60 out of 100 and pass. You could also score a 100 out of 100. Now those two students are very different, the 60 yeah. and the 100, but this COVID test is being used as pass-fail and it's not accounting for whether or not you scored a 60 or a 100. And I feel like that kind of explains it, but maybe you can enhance my explanation so people understand it a little better.
0: Oh, I agree with you 100%. In fact, if if you consider this PCR test, that is really the crux of the matter. When people say, oh, I'm going to go get tested for COVID. Did they get tested for COVID? Let's look at what are we calling the COVID test. What we're calling the COVID test is PCR, polymerase chain reaction, which is actually a manufacturing technique. And as you said, the, um, the inventor of the test, Dr. Carrie Mullis, said that if you run that cycles beyond 35 or 40, quote, you can find almost anything in anybody, unquote. Okay. What do you mean by that? that uh, it, let's say you only run that test for 20 cycles. That is, you keep it repeating and duplicating the RNA that you find and you run it 20 and you do that 20 times. Okay. Almost everybody tests negative. Let's say you choose to run that test 60 times and you keep duplicating that RNA 60 times. Almost everybody will test positive. Why? Because it's not picking up what is specifically SARS-CoV-2, uh, the, uh, this virus in question, but rather it's picking up pieces of other coronaviruses, uh, defeated, uh, long-defeated uh, coronaviruses, and including some of the human genome. So uh, you run it for 60 cycles. Everybody tests positive because we're human. In other words, like exactly like you say, uh, the more times it is run, uh, the more likelihood of a positive result. So why are U.S. labs uh, very often running it at 40 and higher cycles? So
1: what what is a cycle? It's a a run of the test. What is a cycle? How do
0: you define that? Oh, okay. So it's kind of an iteration, all right. So you take a little bit of nucleic acid sequence. It's a reverse transcriptase, meaning you're beginning with DNA, you're doing reverse transcriptase to take it to RNA. And then uh, that this chain reaction means duplicate it, duplicate again, duplicate again, 20 times. That's not very much, so everybody kind of tests negative. But you keep duplicating that 60 times for 60 cycles okay now everybody's testing positive now uh, in the 40s is where the u.s labs are running it so you get absurdly high numbers of people testing positive and you know uh, ohio state football gets knocked out uh you know because uh, the coach tested positive right so the game couldn't happen the team couldn't play they've only played four times this year and and some other um schools have I don't know. My, my son had a football
1: game canceled because some kid, his dad, got tested positive. The yeah. kid tested negative. They canceled both teams.
0: Yes, that makes sense. The- that's how silly this is getting, you know, yeah. and that's how it's being used as a tool against people. This, the PCR test is just being used as a tool to establish this new world order. Get everybody terrified of cases, have this case demic where you, the media keeps screaming cases, cases, you know, uh, because they can't talk about hospitalizations of which they're not that many. They can't talk about deaths, which peaked back in April for COVID-19 deaths. And I've been down ever since.
1: I don't know if you read, uh, I refer often to Dr. Daniel Murphy, who is the head of emergency medicine at St. Barnabas in the Bronx. And I mean, you talk about a hot spot. This was the hottest spot really in the world, perhaps outside of, of Italy when this started, um, when it hit there very hard. But he said on April 7th at five o'clock, the pandemic peaked. And his, his analysis was based on a very simple fact, That at 5 p.m. on April 7th, the discharges, deaths, and transfers outnumbered new admissions. And he said, now, because our goal back in April was to make sure we didn't overwhelm our hospitals and our first line, line, frontline first responders, we achieved that goal at 5 o'clock on April 7th. Is there anything beyond that? Uh, you know, we we had it. We had the Navy hospital ship Comfort sitting in New York Harbor almost completely unused, not used for COVID patients, wasn't even used for overflow. I think a grand total of 100 people were treated with this ship and then they sent it home. We saw Governor Murphy in New Jersey touring for photo ops, these vast empty army hospitals that had been set up all over the state expecting that they were gonna be used as makeshift morgues and we were gonna be treating people like it was on the battlefield and it was a mass unit. Um, None of this happened. And, it, you know, as you said, it peaked in April and, and the curve flattened, but now you're starting to see the curve of, of cases come up. And I agree with you, it's based on the test, but, but, but let's just talk for a minute about the seasonality and the mutations. I have read where the coronavirus itself, even though coronavirus is responsible, as I understand, for one out of five colds in America every season. Yes. Uh, so it's been around so long, it's the first thing listed on the Lysol can, but that not with... That notwithstanding, I get this was a new strain, um, but the new strain isn't like measles or mumps or something that you can get a vaccine for and end it. The fact that it mutates, uh, it's A, mutating and getting weaker, as we're hearing from doctors, B, it's mutating, so therefore, even a vaccine would effectively be a COVID shot that you'd get every year, and there'd be no guarantee of it being effective. Can you speak to that?
0: Oh, exactly right you're so right that uh anywhere 15 20 some percent of all uh upper respiratory uh, colds are coronavirus and have been and uh it's estimated they've been around as long as humans and even uh with this uh being a new strain uh it has what they say attenuated in other words it's weakened since that peak in april and yes i totally agree with dr murphy you know you said april 7 um and the cdc has about a two-week lag time so i saw on the CDC, the peak being at April 18, but that makes sense with the two-week lag time, and uh, and then of course New York was a little bit earlier than uh, the rest of the country, uh, so yes, yeah, so that totally makes sense. It definitely is seasonal, and uh, yeah. So and also we we really have to um, focus on one thing. I think is that uh, people accused Dr. Scott Atlas of oh being wrong because he wanted to pursue a T-cell strategy. Well, human. Uh, human will doesn't pursue a T-cell strategy. Our immune systems do, Mm -hmm. okay? So we do have a herd immunity or T T-cell immunity, simply because that is what has built up in the population. I think that's one reason that COVID has lost its fangs. I mean, it's basically defanged as a pathogen and it only lives on as a media event and this theatrical uh, COVID extravaganza this year. You so know, basically,
1: uh, if you get COVID now, what tell me about the T-cells. You develop those antibodies based on having a cold throughout your life. How, how does that work?
0: Well, it seems to be very long lasting because researchers found that that 2003, that first SARS, that a lot of people still have the T-cells from it 17 years later, which mm-hmm. is really pretty good. And those people seem to uh, be more resilient against covid um, now antibodies different antibodies more b cells and they tend to uh, diminish over time the the b cell the uh, antibodies can diminish over time however T cell immunity should stay with you for life and uh, that is why somebody who uh, got vaccinated for the measles, can easily get the measles uh, a year later. However, somebody who had uh, the measles as a child has immunity for life, because uh, we, I actually had measles as a child, so I've got lifelong uh, immunity to that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the T cell immunity uh, does last. I was, oh, I wanted to also mention that. Uh, um, okay, sorry, I think it Sorry, okay.
1: right. no, right. go ahead, what did you want to mention?
0: Oh, well, it's interesting that um, Africa uh, really has had only a glancing acquaintance with uh, COVID. In other words, uh, Africa was hardly affected by COVID at all. Uh, Why? Well, that's, that's another thing. Uh, you were talking about the seasonality, and I was just thinking about it uh, just yesterday, actually, that um, they've basically come through uh, their winter, and right there now is the equivalent of uh, early June. Because we're in early December, uh, um, mm-hmm. subequatorial Africa would be, um, you know, six months apart from that. So uh, they're the equivalent of our early June. So in other words, they've they've gone through it uh, that, their first winter with COVID, and they've hardly had any uh, results from it at all. But my personal thought as to why is because malaria is is a very real phenomenon there, and quinine is much more plentiful. And so they've been able to uh, use point and successfully. I mean, being over the counter in a lot of parts of the world, you know. And I think they've uh, been able to use that successfully, if they even needed it.
1: So your your bottom line, if as I, just back to that last point, um, what uh, where do you see this ending? And as a as a doctor, um, where do you see the danger line with um, with your patients as as the lockdowns continue? We're seeing really a tale of two countries. You mentioned the six states that didn't lock down, but now you can add to that states that are reopening, reopening fully. I mean, I watched, I watched the college football game in Texas where there were fans in the stands and you and like it was it was surreal almost to hear people cheering and not have the piped in cheers of these fake events they're having on the East Coast um, but Florida is reopened, Tennessee is reopened, Texas, even Wisconsin after the governor lost in court uh, Michigan is starting to reopen it's despite the best efforts of the governor to keep it down. So you're seeing this um, and we hear the term super spreader and all this but but the reality is these large events, um, the super spreader, label skipped over black lives right. matter skipped over joe biden rallies just skipped all that so so what is your concern going forward and and if you can give the audience a little bit of optimism where's your optimism lie uh will people come to their senses
0: well optimism i'm gonna have to search a little harder for that answer uh, only because um i i don't know uh, well uh, we don't know how the election's going to turn out i think that may affect uh, what's going to happen um And, uh, yeah, I think, okay, look, it all comes down to people resisting. I think it comes down to what you said. You know, you talk to your own friends, you talk to people in your yoga class at the corner diner, you know, and this and that, and you, you try to convince people one-on-one, one at a time, sooner or later, they will see the masked people are a lot unhealthier than the unmasked people. In other words, those of us without masks, I'm still practicing sports three times a week. You know, we, we, um, have people at our clinic and, uh, I, I do not insist on masks. Why? Because my oath is first to no harm. I asked an attorney, I said, can you defend me on that? I mean, if somebody comes along and says, oh, you must put masks on your patients and everybody else. And he said, I can defend you on that on a heartbeat. We are very confident. We will, we will fight that battle if we have to. Um, that, uh, no, I'm not going to wear a mask because uh, my father fought against fascism in World War II. So I will not wear a badge of fascism. and I will not go to a store that insists on it. And if they insist on it, I'll say, do you need me to leave? Okay, fine, I'll leave. Mm-hmm. But uh, generally they don't uh, insist on me leaving. I think that over time people have got to observe that the unmasked people are staying pretty healthy and the people who are not terrified of other people seem to be uh, actually the most sane.
1: Yeah, well, that does sound like optimism. I'll, I'll tell you, I would love to. Um, for, I would like to revisit this and have you on again. Number one, and and because uh, I'm out of time now. But number two, I'd love to get in touch with your attorney if uh, he or she would be willing to talk about uh, what businesses can look for because I, I think that's an important part. I get a lot of small businesses that are interested. Can I afford legally to not? enforce the masks. I know there were some places in Texas that put signs up saying, uh, we will assume if you're not wearing a mask, you have a medical reason not to wear the mask. And therefore, we're not going to have any right to ask you about your medical condition. So therefore, go ahead, do what you're going to do. I think they're on pretty solid legal ground. I haven't heard of any of those places being sued by the maskers. So that said, I'd love to, um, uh, at least hear from or, or see a statement or something, maybe from your attorney that I can share with the audience. I think that's important. But uh, Dr. Colleen Huber, thank you very much for joining me. We'll, uh, we'll certainly have this um, posted and shared and people uh, can download and subscribe to the Speaking Podcast. Again, every once in a while I stray from the light banter and I want to have a very serious conversation with some serious minds in and around this country that uh, hopefully will help us move forward as a society. And certainly it's time to reopen this country 100%, take off the masks, embrace your neighbors, and stop scaring the crap out of these kids thinking that if they're playing with their friends they're gonna kill grandma. It's just not true. Exactly. It's just not true. Oh, you Doc.
0: All so right, thank you so much. Great to talk an to an you. an honor and a delight to talk to you.
1: Great talking to you. Thanks for taking all this time with me and uh, we'll certainly be back in touch. You take care. All
0: right, excellent.
1: Thanks, Doc.